We're seeing a new gilded age where inheritance is the deciding factor in who becomes the wealthiest. Annalee Newitz. Bending Not Breaking. Season 4, Episode 9. Out of the Past. And welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. And this is Ben. And we are so excited. Max, as always, is uh, on the dials making us sound all great. Isn't he great? He's, he's just wonderful. I'm a big fan. Uh, of Max? Yeah. Aren't we all? I mean, maybe not all of us. I, I, I don't know a person <laughs> who, who doesn't like Max. Fair. Okay. I've yet to hear a listener be like, oh, that, that Max That guy. Max who speaks three times an episode really, really grinds my gears. Um, but we love having him here. This is true. This is true. But we are jumping on to more Legend of Korra, book one, episode nine, That's out right. of the past. That's right. And this is, again, one of those episodes, a lot to tackle. There's so much. And so we're bringing in some help. We need the help. So I need you. Who do we have here with us today to discuss all things Legend of Korra? All right, y'all. So here's the deal. I'm going to tell you a little story. So I, I love stories. Uh, as y'all know, if you listen to the Avatar, so what, season three, I started going to div school. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I got into div school. And then I was like, I don't know how I feel about it. And Short then, for divinity, correct? Yeah, divinity school. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> on my first day, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. And then... Of course, this person was in my class, and I was like, OMG, this just got so much better. So I'm so excited to welcome Alicia T. Crosby, and her pronouns are her and hers, and we're so excited she's here. And she is a justice educator and activist, sometimes reluctant minister, and she is so profound when it comes to what she is able to say and the voice that she is using. Her just she addresses spiritual, systemic, and interpersonal harm that people experience on the daily. Uh, if you follow her on Twitter, we'll hear her handles later. But one of the things I really appreciate about her is that she's a really great co-host of her own podcast with Andre Henry, who, if you listened to our last season, you heard him in our finale. So she is the co-host of Hope and Hard Pills with him and her coolest title, in my humble opinion, is that she is a professional question asker and my friend. Alicia, welcome to Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here today. I'm excited for you to be here. This is going to be legit. I'm really excited. So you, you chose inheritance as the lens for our episode today, can you just give us a, a brief picture on what inheritance uh, what inheritance means to you? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, so one of the things um, I want to start by saying is like when I looked at this episode, I saw so many tethers, right? Like there were so many tethers to the people in the episode, so many tethers to people who were elders, and some of um, some of these elders that actually transitioned into becoming ancestors. And so like, I just saw this, 
this theme of of lineage like what does it mean when something gets passed down like what does it mean when you're you know at the end of the line now you're holding this thing um and so that's where inheritance came from for me um i think that there are so many of us who have inheritances that we know of um, and that we acknowledge and some inheritances that um are a little bit more difficult for us to claim. Sometimes our histories are obscured. Sometimes, you know, the present situations that we find ourselves in are um, a lot more complex than we we recognize. But we stand to like to hold something. We stand to gain something, good, bad, and different. And that's what came up for me in this episode when I was looking at it. And so that's kind of my my quick and dirty on inheritance. I love it. The quick and dirty on inheritance. There's so mm-hmm. much to be just, there's so much there. I really yeah. love it. Speaking of the quick and dirty, before we jump into anything else, we should probably recap this episode. And Ben, it is your turn. I'm pretty sure it's to your turn, recap Sunshine. this episode in our, in our 30 second recap. And so Ben, so you have 30 you seconds quote, on the clock you recap. on your mark. Get I don't set, understand why you ignore go. me. Okay, so here's the deal. What happens is, you know, Cora got captured, and they're like, oh my god, Cora got captured, and Karlak's like, I did it, but I'm not going to tell anybody that I did it, so he confuses everybody and says, no, Amon did it, and so then they go and find Amon, and like, Lin Beifong is like super neat, and she pulls on her meta building, even 15 she's seconds. Hurt, and she's like, okay, they gotta go faster. Anyway, they go and rescue all the police people, then they're like, oh my god, Cora's not here, and then they're like, where's Cora? And then Cora escapes, because she's totally B.A., and she gets out of there, even though that she was Three, like, don't underestimate two, her, and then they underestimate one. her, and she gets away. Stop. I didn't cover everything. All the flashbacks. Oh, I forgot all, all those. So many flashbacks. <laughs> There's a lot that happens. Like half the episode minutes. is a flashback. I covered the present stuff. That's very true, and I'm proud of you for that. Well done. <laughs> Alicia, I don't know if you know this, but recapping 20 minutes of time in 30 seconds is pretty hard. Um, it's incredibly <laughs> difficult, and that episode was particularly full, so I understand it. See? She gets me. A lot of I things do. happening in, in this show. <laughs> I love it. Um, and, and so, so I think, can we break down what inheritance really is? Because I, I there's I feel like people understand this like, oh, it's it's the money you get when well, someone it's, it's dies. Like, there's a very like, clinical <laughs> understanding of inheritance, right? It's in terms of like literally what you inherit when someone dies. Right. Like the like things that's the and money that are given to you when someone dies. And so you almost have to assume that I only inherit things when someone is dead and passes that on to me. And I feel like there's a lot more. Uh, and so what, what is inheritance? What does that truly mean? And what all falls under that umbrella? Well, kind of, Alicia, as you said, I, I really think that we inherit things just even from experiences in our own lives, mm-hmm. like right? And so I feel like even when something happens to us, when that happens, we inherit something from that experience and it and it Absolutely. guides us and it helps us or it can hinder us, right? Mm-hmm. We can inherit not great things. And I think you said that, like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, you want? Can you expand on that? And what am I missing? What am I not speaking to? Um, I mean, I think that one of the things that we sometimes forget about inheritance is that it's connected very closely to legacy. And when we look at, you know, Legend of Korra, when we look at, you know, the Avatar story more broadly, we're looking at, legacy we're looking at lineage um and we can't get away from that like we can't get away from like all of these tethers like all these ways that people are knit together and like their gifts their trials their circumstances get passed down from person to person Mm. well and that's kind of the premise of like the avatar cycle in a way Mm -hmm. right this 
this person is reincarnated with the spirit of Rava. <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, and what happens Just is... Just drop in season two spoilers listen, in the middle of people, a season one podcast. People know <laughs> that this is a spoiler podcast. That's all I'm saying. Um, anyway, like, that's the whole premise, right? And so the fact that this whole episode, Korra is connecting with Aang and mm-hmm. listening from this direct past life right so mm-hmm. tell me about your experience with with that what are, what are your thoughts there alicia yeah i mean because i i mean i'm trying to just remember like the story but like at this point like horror is not yet the avatar um and so it's significant for for her to hear from ang and for her to be able to connect in that way like she's still got that thing missing like where she's not quite there and so, you know, this a part of the story she's yet to unpack. And I think that this storyline in this episode is like really, really like crucial because you get to see like, you know, Aang's missteps. You get to see the missteps of like really a number of people in here as well as, you know, the ways that someone benefited from it, from like that learning, from the learning of a legacy. So, you know, we can't talk about like, you know, inheritance without talking about Tarlock, right? So the episode before Absolutely. this, like we, you know, we find out that he's a bloodbender and that's a, a, a gift, um, I guess we can call it that, um, yeah. <laughs> that's inherited from his father, Yakong. And, you know, you see in this episode, I think, I think it's this episode where there's, you know, the situation that takes place with Aang and with Toph and like so many of like our other favorites from Avatar in their adulthood as, you know, the the city is forming and they're figuring out governance and what have you. Um, but, you know, Yukon is this bloodbender who passes this gift, quote unquote, on down to his son. In the same way, like this memory, this this embodiment of like this time is something that Aang as, you know, a guide at this point, like he's not, you know, connected through that avatar link just yet. But like, you know, as someone who's connected like in the, this community to Korra, passes down this memory and it helps her, you know, finally do her whole breakout thing. Yeah, there's a lot there. One of the things that I wrote down with, with Tarlock is the the way that he engages with the world now, right? It's mm-hmm. it's more than he inherited this gift of bloodbending to me. To like what I what I really like honed in on, I think, was his way of treating and manipulating people was an inheritance as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like because like the we we grow up not having anything in our toolbox, but because of the way he was raised by Yakone. Mm-hmm. One of the tools in his toolbox was using power over. We talked about that way back in what episode three of this season. Mm-hmm. And what I what I'm realizing is that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And because Tarlock was hurt, that's the tool that he has in his toolbox is mm-hmm. to wield pain and hurt elsewhere. And I think that's that's a really tough thing to inherit, right? Absolutely. And like, he, you know, out of that pain, wanted to build on his father's legacy in a way that, you know, is concerning. You know, he understood that like, you know, being a part of a criminal enterprise wasn't necessarily the move. And so like, what did he do? He went into government. He went into a place like where he could exercise his power and where he could like, you know, secure and consolidate power and like and to do so for his own sort of like you know nefarious purposes but 
could kind of go unchecked because, you know, he's a governor. He's, you know, in governance. Like, how could he do any wrong? So he, like, part yeah, of his, I, part of the inheritance I, is that he's, like, he, he smarted up. He got smarter and, like, did things a bit more efficiently than his dad did. You know, that really ties in to how I feel about our world currently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, things that were done in the past have become things that are now frowned upon. And so those same people have to had to figure out how to do it in a way that is, quote, a little bit under the radar, under the radar or, Mm -hmm. um, et cetera. And it just like you, it, the parallel between going from criminal to government is, uh, somewhat uncanny (laughs) in Uh, terms of how we have inherited our current legacy in the more reason to speak on this. Like, so what's so funny is like right now um, I'm watching Quantico, right? And one of the fascinating things about the season that I'm in is that the, one of the main characters or a few of the main characters are actually now tethered to the CIA. And like, what does it mean when this government agency is like specifically formed to do things like in an illegal manner? Like, I just think it's like a fascinating thing to think about. Like, there's so many parts of government that, you know, yes, when done ideally, there can be for the people. But it is so easy for people to like get into positions of authority and use them to manipulate and to manipulate in a more sophisticated fashion than they could do through other means. And I think that that's what we see with Tarlock is that he, you know, is sophisticated in a way that his father isn't. And perhaps, you know, that other people in his family aren't. And he is, you know, he looks the part, he speaks the part. And this is why he's able to get away with what he gets away with for so long. It just makes me feel dirty. That's just where I am right it's now. Icky. It's icky, it's so ick, it's so ick. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because we've talked about how so many things are, how tools and resources that are available can be, are not necessarily ones that are negative or positive, but it's the way that we use those tools. Mm-hmm. And so Tarlock has inherited bloodbending, and I'm having mm-hmm. a really tough time thinking of what is the positive use of bloodbending. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's like so, and so, how do we learn if these things that that we are inheriting are things that we need to drop yeah. and not lift up anymore, or things that can be used for good? And that line, I think, can be a little bit gray sometimes. But how do we identify these things that we're in- inheriting from maybe our parents or um, from our past? that we can then kind of pinpoint and say, I, I need to let this go and not let this be a part of my my legacy moving well, and forward. S- and sometimes it's not just like needing to let it go, but it's needing to say, what went through my mind when you asked that question is what's the benefit? And it reminded me of, uh, you all remember Brenna Lynn from episode four. She has a video mm-hmm. out there that has a theory around bloodbending and how it is part of the healing process, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things I like about that is that if, Bloodbending could be used theoretically to be a very important and powerful medical tool, mm-hmm. right? But we don't let anybody cut anyone open. We let there there needs to yeah. be credible. They need to be there. There needs to be a lot of steps involved. Like anybody can wield a scalpel, but only the people who are allowed to wield a scalpel have mm-hmm. the the pedigree. Not pedigree. That's the wrong word. The, <laughs> uh, the ability, the ability, yeah. and the training to do so, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so. For for me, when I think about that, it's we inherit tools and how we use them. We only use them to the capacity we know how to, 
If mm-hmm. we never explore what it would be like to do it in a medical faculty, then we're wasting we're wasting it, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, <laughs> how do you balance this idea of like this tool in the wrong hands and in a lot of hands? In most hands. In most hands, yeah. if you will, rather. Yeah, it, like it becomes not good. <laughs> so yeah. like bloodbending is this weird thing where I just, I wonder what that would be like. So- that's it just gets, a thought. Alicia, what are your, what are your thoughts on tricky. that? It's tricky. It's really tricky because, yeah, I mean, I could very easily see like bloodbending being used as a force for good. <sighs> Some of that, I think, though, is, you know, determined by who has access, like, to to learn about this, who has access to wield this particular power. You know, you know, bloodbending is, you know, an offshoot of, of waterbending. But, you know, I don't know if airbenders, you know, who are known for like having to be, you know, patient and precise and like move through things with a certain type of, you know, energy, what if they had the capacity to do bloodbending, right? Like with them being so mindful or at least maybe partnering with those waterbenders who can bloodbend, like would that change like the scope of the field? Um, you know, when people are limited, where there's a, a select group of people who has the ability and capacity to do something, I wonder if like we limit the the space of imagination for what could be done. Um, so that's kind of where my like my first thought goes there. But yeah, access is a, definitely a thing, um, but also imagination, right? Like when we see inheritances you know, go awry uh, or people use them for like not so good things, you know, they have a limited scope of imagination. Um, They can't imagine a world in which certain things are possible or certain things are impossible. And I think that's something that we have to take into consideration because honestly, there are people who are out here, you know, who's whose legacy where their inheritance is the suppression of thought and questioning and curiosity um, because of the fear that they have and what happens when people question. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that you just said that I'm interested in unpacking a little bit. The, one, of the, one of the things that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a deep dive. Yeah, Let's one of the things you mentioned, like, okay, so I wonder what it would be like for a non-bender to be like, no, bending itself mm-hmm. is a tool that has been misused, right? Which mm-hmm. is kind of the root of this equalist movement, yeah. right? Bending is the problem. Blood mm-hmm. bending is just further proof that bending is the issue, mm-hmm. right? And so it's if, if we expand the metaphor past blood bending to bending itself, mm-hmm. there's a huge mass. So you're, you're talking about access, like literally only the benders have access and then mm-hmm. narrow that field to just water benders, mm-hmm. right? And so who has access? It's really kind of terrifying to think about like the power and privilege involved in legacy. And mm-hmm. like, I guess no one else will be able to be this like powerful medical bloodbender when you mm-hmm. only have a small crop of people that have the capacity to do so. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think that when we inherit, like the, the, the equalist movement has been around for a while. If we read the comics, it's been growing for years and years now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it has grown to this point, we've inherited this moment in time. It makes me question like asking the, like is being able to bend the equivalent of being able to wield a gun? Right. Is like, do does a non-bender see a bender and and 
worried that they're holding the equivalent of a gun in their hand. And it's mm-hmm. it's just I don't know. There's just a lot there about mm. ugh, ugh, it's icky. It's icky. It's icky. But I mean, but you <laughs> named it. It's, a, it's about it's about power and privilege, and you know, benders in like in this world to some extent have you know, um, they've exercised power over non-benders don't have like the same access to things. And we actually see further restriction of those accesses um, throughout the course of the season. And so, so yeah, there's like a lot of questions that have to come up. Oh, okay. Do you have, Sunshine, another moment of inheritance that you want to talk about? I do. Uh, I, I look at metal bending as a, as a form of inheritance in the same way. Um, this knowledge that has been passed down from Toph to, we don't know it at this point, but, oh no, we do. It's We know that Lynn's Toph's daughter. So, yeah. yeah um, mm-hmm. So, this idea that she's passed down metal bending, and then we see that being used throughout the course of this episode, and I would argue at this point, we see Lynn using it as a resource to be helpful as a resource for good. Right. So I maybe, right. So, cause who's to say what's positive or um, helpful, but we see her use this in a, in a way to help release prisoners and to, to help find Cora. And so this idea of that knowledge itself is inheritance and how we share that knowledge with people. And then again, what is that knowledge used for? Mm-hmm. Um, because that almost goes back to Tarlock and him being taught how to bloodbend. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's this weird parallel of maybe two sides of the same coin. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that you bring up Toph and, and Lynn right now. <sighs> because you have like the whole premise of policing, right? Like we can't talk about power and privilege without speaking about policing. Um, what does it mean Truth. to like constrict people um, based on a, a set of rules that we've created in order to help power structures stay what they are for a status quo to exist? It's actually one of the more disappointing things to me, like with Legend of Korra seeing that Toph became a cop. Um, I mean, I know that y'all will, you know, potentially cover this in more details when we see a bit more about her in the future, but it's just like, this character was just so interesting and dynamic and like you know to see her become a police officer it's just like there's so many places she could have gone she could have became an artist or you know i don't know i mean she did become a teacher to some extent but like it's just interesting to see that this is the path that she walked and not only that she walked, but her daughter chose to walk too. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting. I 100% seeing, agree. Yeah. Like, but it's interesting to see, you know, Lynn's imagination shift to understand that policing wasn't the only way to protect someone, um, which is something that her mother didn't see um, in her time. Well, I also think about this and I, I don't, when I think about Toph going into this, we we know from the comics that she started a metal bending academy. We know that like there was there was a, a vast amount of training before it led to her becoming uh, in joining law enforcement, mm-hmm. and she was even a small business partner, right? And like I guess it was a large business, but it was one of those things where she did several things, and ultimately, I like my question is, I wonder if the inheritance of 
being in the gang, if you will, the the mm-hmm. team avatar, I wonder if that inheritance of dealing with that issue mm-hmm. created this this burden of I have to continue maintaining order in the world. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that led to like Aang asking her to do it. I wonder if it was, you know what I mean? I wonder if this was her emerging to do this on her own or if she felt mm-hmm. guilty not doing it. These are really good um, because questions. Because of the rhetoric. Yeah, no, you these know? are these are super good questions that you're raising. Um, and I think that like, you know, they're these are things that we have to hold in mind, like definitely with Toph and like, you know, and the legacy that that she creates and the inheritance that she gives to her daughter. But, you know, this is something we have to ask of everyone in this, you know, in this world that Korra existed as well as our world. It's like, what are the forces? What are the the conversations? What are the things that are shaping people in making the choices that they make? Sometimes this was, you know, this is unexpected sometimes, you know, this is, you know, again, like some of the pressures that they inherited from a different season in their life. There are just so many contributing factors that lead to a person being where they are and making decisions that they make, but also choosing to protect the people that they they do. There's so much that goes into it, but you got to ask questions to find out more of the story. Absolutely. Well, and so, like, speaking of Toph, so in this flashback, we see Toph. I, I had a moment where I was like, really? And so so even when someone is guilty, and mm-hmm. we realize and learn that Yakone is guilty, mm-hmm. I, I, I worry because we, we, we shouldn't use our power over moves, mm-hmm. i.e. bending, on a person without it being, like, the last resort. Mm-hmm. And what we see is when they arrest Yakone, like they say, hey, we're, we're catching you. This is the deal. We're arresting you. Mm-hmm. And like Toph bends metal, rips him from seated position, throws like the table is thrown over. Like it is very violent. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, we know Yakone has been like evil. Like he has done bad things. But again, even when someone is guilty, Toph chooses to to wield this form of power and bending over him. And I, I worry mm-hmm. about that moment. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I wonder if there could have been a different outcome if that wasn't the, the route that she had chosen to go. Like, even when people are guilty, even when they've done wrong, it doesn't mean that they're not deserving of care. And it doesn't mean that they're not, it doesn't mean that they're divorced from our communities they're still a part of our collective. They've just like done something that's compromised the integrity. And so there's an opportunity for us, you know, particularly those who believe in the ethic of nonviolence to figure out creative ways to impart care for both those who have been impacted as well as the one who had perpetuated or who had perpetrated harm in the moment. And so, you know, even if they had to take him into custody or they had to like restrict his access to the greater community because of the things that he had done, there who knows right like we don't know what the outcome is because of the the choice that Toph had made like you know with her metal bending but it's possible that there's a future where a different approach might have elicited a different response yeah i mean i just wonder when this makes me think of inheritance of the the culmination of past experiences that make us feel like that is the only option in that moment or Mm -hmm. the culmination of past experiences that make us feel like oh we we do have a little bit of leeway and strength to be able to to approach this situation differently Mm -hmm. um and is that inheritance is is the knowledge that we gain from 
the past experiences that we have inheritance and and again how do we check those to say is this does this th when these shape my decision making process is that mm -hmm. the way that it needs to shape those things yeah um another thing i think for me as we continue to talk about inheritance not only what we get but what we give like what mm -hmm. are we what are we giving as inheritance mm -hmm. to other people mm -hmm. um and how that plays into because if if you know yukon was going to train we we see future moments of yukon training tarlock and i think it's the next episode so we won't go into that but we tarlock's experience as we kind of discussed was because of what he inherited and so had he inherited different things mm -hmm. it's, it's probably safe to say that his actions would be different going forward um Absolutely. i think we get a cute little moment of this in the way that um milo answers the phone right like that like <laughs> When when they get called at six in the morning, the way that Milo answers the phone is very much a, a, a tenzin response, and so <laughs> um, being yeah. being aware of of what we're pushing forward, and so how do we this how, do, better be how do we gain more awareness of that? Like how do we gain more awareness of what are what am I giving to someone else to inherit mm -hmm. when I leave, or even in this moment? Like what are those things? I mean, I think one of the ways is to just. Be intentional about the energy that you're putting out into the world. Um, mm. And I and I think that, you know, that comes in different forms. You know, you know, we have all this conversation, like I think in our, our current discourse about things like mindfulness, right? Like what does it mean to to still yourself, to slow down, to to be in your body, to just be. I think it's such an important tool because like when you're in the place of like being right, like not when you're doing, but just when you're existing, you could, you know, consider certain things that when you're on the go that you can't necessarily do. Um, and I think that that's important to, an important part of figuring out the type of energy that's like comes naturally to us and like the type of energy that we have to like work for a little bit more. Um, and so like, I'll use myself as an example, like, I know that my first energy sometimes can be very big energy. And so, you know, in my work, you know, so in addition to doing like podcasts and whatever, like I do facilitation work and whatever. Um, and like, so I'm helping to facilitate dialogues. That means that like that big energy can always show up. Sometimes it's appropriate, but more often than not, it's, it's not. But like, I have to come, I had to come to a place where I recognize this is the type of energy that I naturally give off. And this is like another type of energy that I need to like exert in the world. One where other people can like see themselves and hear themselves, like this sort of mirror energy, like where you allow for converse, you, you help cultivate space where conversation can take place. And people can like, bounce that off of you in order to like see and hear themselves more clearly. But that meant that I had to like interrogate, investigate, and then, you know, articulate my energy in different ways. But it's very intentional and it can only come when we slow down and we just work to be in a space of being. And it requires honesty, like extreme honesty. Which is such a vulnerable, like extreme honesty is so vulnerable. It's mm -hmm. something that it requires us to be open and open to the elements, if you will, but um, uh, where like we might get bent against. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And it opens uh, us to our trauma and like in our past and like why, 
you know, we've had to exert certain types of energy, like in another life and maybe why it's not appropriate to bring it into the life that we're currently living into. Or maybe where we need to like, you know, take some things from the past and utilize them in this moment. This is where like, you know, when we were talking earlier about, um, about like, you know, what you keep, what you give away. I think that it's maybe more appropriate to like pack things in like boxes than to completely like cast them off. Because sometimes you might need to like tap into some tools from the past that were given to you. And maybe tools mm. that might've been painful to wield at a different time, but like your hands are different, right? Like they've got, it, they've been weathered and have gotten, you know, the experience of holding different types of tools. So maybe it's not as painful to pick up certain things in the present it might, as it might've been in the past. Yeah. You know, this, what this is really reminding me of is this, we, we briefly talked about this at the very beginning, but just the mm -hmm. whole idea of the embodied inheritance of the, of the avatar and the avatar, mm -hmm. the nature of what it is. It makes like, honestly, I feel like the human experience is, the avatar experience is a metaphor for the human experience mm -hmm. and it's clearly stretched. Like I can't literally talk to my past life, but mm -hmm. I, I can revisit my old memories. And mm -hmm. if me 10 years ago is an entirely different me, which I believe that it is <laughs> mm -hmm. like then me being able to go back to say, what would I have thought then? What would I have said then? What did I experience then? Cause sometimes we, we forget who we were and who, mm -hmm. what we have become and that those two people are different. There's a, there's a beautiful quote by Heidi Preeb where we have to, we have to endure the grief of a thousand deaths and funerals of mm -hmm. our friends and family because we are constantly changing and becoming, I'm paraphrasing, but we're constantly changing and dying and becoming something new. Mm -hmm. And that's like, if, if that's not a metaphor for the avatar state, then I don't know what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it, it very much is. Like, I'm just, I want, like, I want to sit with these words. Um, I want to sit with these words even more. Um, mm. Yeah, something I want to lift up is this, I, I again, it just kind of goes back to the scope of inheritance and what that really means. I think we see several times throughout this show, this episode, that, you know, Lynn inheriting the knowledge of metal bending allows them to break into the equalist hideout and, and see that, right? So she gets that ability. We see Tarlock's inheritance of the knowledge of blood bending. He uses it uh, and wields it for power in the way that he does. And I think he kind of cuts down on this idea that I, I think everything is inheritance, right? Like all this information, all this support, all of this is stuff that we've inherited. And so mm -hmm. it almost breaks down this idea that a doing anything as like a self-starter or by yourself is, is just not really a thing. Yeah. Like you, like you <laughs> just, the bootstrap myth. And, and granted, I guarantee you, this is headcanon for me at this point, but like, I guarantee you Tarlock has, could probably position himself in a media standpoint of like, I built myself up to a governor or council member. And I did it from the ground up, from the ground up and on my own. I had nothing. And, and so how did we challenge that of like, no, that's not a thing. Like you've not, you could never get to a place of any form of power without the support of other people. Or you, I love that you looked um, that up. Like that's, mm -hmm. and it, one thing that drives, I actually, as I was looking up and kind of researching the idea of inheritance before this episode, I found an article that was just like, this wealth magazine did a study <laughs> of, of the, of billionaires and found out that 67.7 of them were self-starters. And 
I looked at their headline and I looked at the picture and the first person they identify is Mark Zuckerberg as a self-starter. And you go, what do you, like, <laughs> he didn't pay for Harvard by himself. He then quit. He had funders, all of these things. And now, like, mm-hmm. he's used this. It's just the idea of, like, and he he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. Uh, bootstraps is one I'm just like, this is the dumbest article I've ever read. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's not how it works. And so I At think that's all. just, in this episode, that's just one of those things of, like, no, like, not Tarlock, not Lynn, not Cora, not Tenzin. None of these people got to be the way that they were without the supports and knowledge and uh, experiences of other people along the way. And so I, it just it wants me to just shatter that image of, like, there's no such thing as, like, you did it completely by yourself. Mm-hmm. It just, mm. it's not. So. It's not. Like, you know, even when, you know... People can't remember what influences were there. It doesn't mean that they, like, nothing, like, yeah. Like, there's always an influence, whether, like, you're conscious of it or it's a part of your subconscious or it's, like, ancestral memory. Like, we all have support and get into the places where we are. All of us. No one is absolved Mm. from this. Like, there are some things you just know in your bones, but it's because, like, those who've walked before you like have given you this embodied knowledge. I mean, we see it right now, right? Like in these conversations that we have about generational trauma, right? There are certain things that happen like physiologically, like within like people as, you know, a response to the world around them. But it's like, yes. it's, it's, it's embodied ancestral memory. Like our bodies remember, our spirits remember, our people remembered and they pass that on to us. Yeah, the the recent studies on epigenetics have been mind blowing in terms of what is carried on and and what we didn't realize was being carried on. So mm-hmm. I'm just really more more and more aware around what is the legacy that I want to leave behind. What is Absolutely. the inheritance I want to gift the people around me? Mm-hmm. What is there's just there's so much to consider. There really is. Yeah. I mean, and some of those things are material resources. I know for someone like me, a lot of them are like emotional, spiritual resources. Like, you know, I do what I can to give what I have. And like, you know, I don't have money. I'm a grad student. <laughs> I'm an independent Same. contractor. <laughs> like the money isn't flowing over here. But, you know, there are ways like where you can check in on someone and just let people know that you care. And that can be a part of like your inheritance and the legacy that you you leave behind is that people feel like someone gives a damn about them in a world that can feel so cold. Truth. Like we all have something yeah. to give. We all do. In the same way that we have things that we've received. Well, and one of the things we've been talking about is we've been talking about bending mostly as a form of inheritance, but also like if we if we dive into Asami for a second, mm. there's a lot there as well, right? Well, and yeah. So, like Asami, Asami, excuse me, has inherited a vast fortune from her father's mm-hmm. uh, use and building of the future industries and the Satomobile. And mm-hmm. she is, I, I wonder, and I'm diving into a really small moment here, but like, I wonder if she's more sensitive to Mako's interest in Korra in this episode mm-hmm. because of her recent experience and inheritance from her father. Yeah. where her father tried to like attack her <laughs> and failed but like mm-hmm. the thought of inheriting just this this trauma of this 
massive parenting failure. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And also having already lost her mother. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where like, I wonder if she is especially sensitive and has inherited this sensitivity because if she loses Mako, what then? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like there's just a lot of things that she's inherited as well that have to do with her whole experience. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, betrayal or fear of betrayal is, is part of that, right? I mean, she <laughs> just dealt with a significant, significant trauma. Like, you know, the violence of like, you know, her dad doing what all he did. Yeah, that's a lot to take. And so it makes you skeptical of the world. Like, and it changes. I mean, like, we know that like trauma, uh, trauma is just not like the violent event. It's the way that like we hold the world like after that event. And so like, you know, she's holding her world differently. She's asking questions that perhaps she hadn't had to ask before because she was so sheltered by the the care and like the control of of the the space that she was living in. That's all ripped away very quickly. You start asking yourself some questions when things change abruptly. And that lifts up for me, like this idea of how do we give ourselves grace for the things that we've inherited, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, and it's, and I, I don't say that in a way of not taking responsibilities for your own actions, but this way of recognizing this just happened to me mm-hmm. and it, and it was traumatic and it caused pain and it is now affecting the way that maybe I see the world around me. And mm-hmm. it's tough to dial in on that in the moment, mm-hmm. um, but like this, this idea of like, keep, like Asami, give yourself, like you can give yourself a little grace right here. Like you've had a really rough uh, couple days leading up to this, mm-hmm. um, and so just that that kind of popped in. I don't know if there's a real question there, if it's more just an idea of just the understanding that we inherit things from other people, and sometimes we don't consent to the things that we're inheriting from other people, and mm-hmm. so that drastically has a, a potential of of altering our world and giving grace to ourselves for that those things absolutely i mean i think that one of the things that we have to do in giving ourselves grace is to give ourselves rest like we have to press pause and like Mm. and you know life is life is hectic but still like you know there are moments of pause that you can take if you can't take like a full-on like month-long sabbatical right the the financial and material realities that most of us live into don't allow for that but you know, you can find like a f- couple of minutes in your day, you know, an hour if like, you know, if you have a little bit more time and just like press pause, shut it down, let yourself self feel your feels. And sometimes that takes assistance, right? Like sometimes for some of us feeling our feels means that we pick up art tools. Some of us, it means that we listen to music. Some of us have to move our bodies. Some of us have to sit in like complete stillness. <laughs> but well, what I love about this is it, mm-hmm. it really reminds me of our episode with uh, episode four. We talked about like mm-hmm. emotional restriction and mm-hmm. what you're giving us permission to do right now is what Cora was not able to give herself permission to do. Mm-hmm. Like she was so interested in bottling those feelings up and not showing yep. them to anybody because she felt shame around sharing them. And mm-hmm. I think what becomes challenging about sharing and, and opening up and resting is that mm-hmm. <laughs> all of a sudden we become very intimate with the things that we are desperately trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what this rest ministry is calling us to do, and I, I say that 
somewhat intentionally. It's like resting is a radical form of ministry, not just for yourself, but for others, right? It's absolutely, it is a chance for us to make sure that the, our gift to the world, our inheritance that we are leaving behind is more Mm -hmm. wholesome than it would have been had we not rested. Absolutely. Because there's a degree of impulsivity that like rest allows you to like, to, to kind of ward off. Like you're not just acting out of your pain. You're not just acting out of your emotions. You have the ability to be intentional because like you've stopped, considered, and then like out of that you can act. And sometimes you still screw up and that's okay. But I think that like also like kind of powering down in whatever ways it makes sense for you, you know, allows for you to own things. Like when you mess up, it's like, okay, like I messed up and you can name and it was because of this and it's not an excuse. It's you being accountable for like how it is that like you could not do that thing in the future. Mm. There's just so much. This is a huge, huge thing. I'm, I'm grateful that we've had a chance to engage with this. Okay, are there, do you have any other moments of inheritance that you want to touch on before we uh, move on to our devotion and some gratitude? Um, yeah, like the one thing that I will bring up um, before bring we move on. on is we've not talked yet about um, Amon. And, and, and how, you know, inheritance and and legacy um, impacts him. I mean, we know that touch is a part of it. We, there's so much to that story that we don't yet know. Um, But I think that it's really interesting that you have this character who has the ability to come into close contact, perhaps closer contact than people are used to, and like disrupt, um, for benders at least, the inheritance that they've had. I think it's just a fascinating, fascinating thing because now people have to figure out like with everything that they've thought that they've been, that's been passed on to them stripped away, who are they now? Um, yeah. No, that's yeah. really, I didn't, I hadn't thought about that. It's so, what it, for me, what it comes to, and I think it especially happens with, with Cora as she grapples with this all season, is mm-hmm. it shifts from an entitlement to mm-hmm. a, to gratitude that I have this ability, right? That it, mm-hmm. oh, this has never been something that could have been taken away except in extreme stan- extant- uh, circumstances by the mm-hmm. Avatar. And that's happened, what, twice that we know of mm-hmm. ever by the Avatar? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden what we have is someone who is stripping people of something that they felt entitled to that non-benders never had the privilege of understanding and never had the privilege of. And so I wonder, even if this is potentially the wrong way of going about uh, doing it, I wonder if this is still going to bring a little bit more gratitude to the people, to the benders of the world. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's something definitely worth considering. Like where you don't know I think I think, yeah, it's gratitude, but also an understanding. Like there are other things that I've got going on other than the utilization of this one particular gift. And so I think that gratitude is a thing, but also contemplation may be another thing that comes out of of kind of a, a world in which, you know, Anans Amans exist. Yeah. 
it actually reminds me of what Sunshine had said earlier around like we don't we like sometimes we inherit things that are not good and <laughs> we don't have to use them and not only that mm-hmm. but like we don't have to guilt and bash ourselves for having inherited something that is not something that we want to claim right mm-hmm. um and it's, it's interesting because i if i if i put that in the context of like race for instance i as mm-hmm. a person who is white i can cl- i can i have to sit here and be like oh man white people suck and oh no like but it's one of those things where like no no, no. i'm like i am white i have to claim that and i have to know that that privilege is a tool that i have as well as an identity that i'm living with and mm-hmm. so how do i grapple with the fact that I have been given this tool that feels really, really dirty, but also Mm -hmm. is something that has the capacity to make a difference. And uh, Mm -hmm. how do I open up that space and provide, um, how do I do my best to become an ally? And one of the things that I appreciate about you, Alicia, is you taught me the difference of you can claiming allyship versus being an ally. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you mind actually talking about that a little bit? Absolutely. It's actually one of my favorite things to speak about. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay. So I am of the belief that people cannot claim to be allies. I think that it is um, presumptuous and that it's dangerous because when you say that you're an ally, um, you're you're taking on a set of responsibilities that you're not often the people when people say this oftentimes they're not really like about that life let's just be real um <laughs> it's it's largely performative um it's, in, it's it's responsive or maybe reactive is more the thing to say and more often than not people who are self-proclaimed allies do things that those who they are supposedly allied with have not asked them to do you know, so I think that it's important for people to understand that the term ally or allying is is something that is conferred. It's not something that's assumed. Like, I don't like easily call people my allies because if I say that you're my ally or my accomplice, I am giving you power to speak to my interests. And that means that you have an understanding of who I am, what my beliefs are, what my ethics are, and you have the authority to move on my behalf. And the majority of people that are out here in the world do not have that authority because they do not know me. And so when people like, and and people speaking to be allies oftentimes get upset when you tell them that they're not actually acting in a way that's allied with you as a person experienced and marginalization in the world. And so it's just not a concept for me that has a lot of utility. Um, I know other people use it and I, I get why they do, but I think that it's it's very dangerous and it doesn't allow, like most people aren't concerned about the relationship there. And if they, if they do speak about relationship, it's like that one black friend, right? It's like, oh, what my one friend said, it's like, okay, your one friend could say, but I'm not your one friend. So yeah. what are we going to do now? <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the things that I love about this is just that I, I have, I used to lead quote ally trainings and that's not what they were called, but like for LBGTQ plus ally trainings. And it's one of those things mm-hmm. where it's like, I've been to ally trainings that were called that. And I was like, Oh cool. I'm an ally mm-hmm. now. I have a certificate that says so. And like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's not that obviously, but I, I love the way you're phrasing this because it becomes more individual 
And Mm -hmm. what it also does is it allows me to constantly question. It's not something that like, oh, I'm an ally now. I don't have to do anything. It's like I've, Mm -hmm. I've achieved this status. What it forces me to do is to constantly work towards it because mm-hmm. I have to gain that from each individual, not just from like, you know, <laughs> the random per- like black friend that I have, you know, mm-hmm. um, which this I, is I why solidarity the- matters more. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. when you're in solidarity, like I, I remember having a professor break down solidarity for me is this, he was saying that, you know, life for, for some people affords them privileges that like keeps them out of like certain situations. But when you're in solidarity with someone, you're literally breathing the same air that they breathe. And, you know, I think for people who who have meaningful relationships to like confronting inequity, because that's really the reason why allyship exists, right? Like you're not an ally for giggles. You're there because you, you want to do something about like the ways that people are being maligned in the world. Um, or at least you should. Um, but like with the concept of solidarity means that like if the air is like dusty and like causing me to like struggle to breathe, you have put yourself in the position and are choosing to stay in the position to breathe that air to bear witness to the fact that its quality isn't good for me. And I think that this is what people have to come to, right? And to some degree, like looping it back to Avatar and and to the chorus story, it's like what these equalist folks are kind of talking about. They're like, life isn't necessarily great for us here with like vendors acting the way that vendors do. So how about we pay attention to this? I mean, they're doing it in an extreme way, but I think that that's like one of the things that's like very interesting to me about the quote unquote villains um, in this story is that they make some really interesting points. They do. They absolutely do. Very, very valid, but they chose to go about it in a way that's so extreme that it's like, it's harmful. And so I think that, you know, the same can be said of, of our current situation but yeah allyship boo thumbs down 10 out of 10 or zero out of 10 (laughs) wouldn't recommend you know solidarity is where it's at for me because like we're in this and like you're in this with me well i think we see like we don't we see amon amon this is not amon's mantle to take up he's a bender right it's not his Mm -hmm. this is not his place to kind of say i'm gonna lead this movement and mm-hmm. we don't see any moments of him like conversing with other equalists to say like, how do we get more support for non-benders out here? And like, what are the moves that we need to make? And I'm going to sit back and listen. We see him say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take away bending. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this stuff. Then the entire movement gets painted as like, oh, they're, everyone's trying to steal their bending. And so mm-hmm. this is a terrible movement and we're going to use the power of the government to crush it. And the reality is if the council would have sat there and said, hey, let's speak with non-benders and talk about how to make a better world and what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Wonder what that would have been There likely like. would have been different outcomes is... that showed up from that. Um, but that's not what we get. And so this idea of Amon stepping in to fill that role and taking up that mantle, when it is not his to take, is is mm-hmm. one of the reasons that, that this is so bad and gets painted so poorly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So much. This has been and good. It, it, this, and I think this is the difference between watching Korra. I don't know. This is not. It's not a difference. It's the lens of me as a twenty-year-old versus a thirty-year-old 
watching this show and it just feels <laughs> like it hits more not because this stuff hasn't been happening for our entire lives but just because starting to be more cognizant of it yeah um and watching Absolutely. Korra now is is definitely different than it was when it first aired and um, watching it in this way a la this podcast gives us a different chance to view the episodes in a completely different way which is always enlightening so if we're mm-hmm. if we're gonna wrap a bow on inheritance, which is is probably impossible, if we're uh, the content of what we've kind of talked about for this episode, this idea that inheritance comes from so many different places, um, and that we give it and we receive it, and it in in many different forms, it's not just financial, um, mm-hmm. and then that also leads us to the way that we use it is incredibly important, but also this understanding of we get to identify what we want to use and, and do we let it go or do we maintain it and what we hold on to. Um, but all of these things and the way that it plays into inheritance play into the way that we engage with the world around us. Mm. Is that, that was me trying to put all of our episode into a headline. Is there anything that I missed as like, what's a big takeaway from all of the stuff that we've talked about today? Mm. I mean, the, I the only other thing well. that, yeah, I think that you did great. The only other thing that I would add is just in order to take stock of like all of this, you got to slow down. And I think that like, that's part of where we see the turn in Cora's story. Being in that box wasn't great, but you know, she had the ability to like to tap into some things because she wasn't like constantly fighting, constantly moving, constantly doing, um, there's something to be said about the stillness, even sometimes if it's, you know, your circumstances um, stilling you. Mm. I know that that's been my story. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So what's going to happen is we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back uh, and do some devotions and we're going to have some gratitude and we're just going to have a grand old time. So we'll see you in a few seconds. Alright everyone, welcome back. We are so glad you had a chance to listen to some transition music while we took a short break to gather our thoughts. So what we've got for you now is our our devotion. It's devotion time, devotion. It's a time where we set an intention or a goal based off of one of the elements from the Avatar cycle and the lens of the episode. And so this week on Bending Not Breaking, we'll be talking through a lens of Uh, inheritance and we will be using the element of water to kind of shape our our goal or intention so alicia or sunshine do you want to share your goal intention who wants to go first i'm gonna hand it off to sunshine to start that's fair okay (laughs) (laughs) um i think for me i really enjoyed the aspect of our conversation around the Am I am I blood bending or am I healing? Right, like this idea for water bending on on how it's used, and so am, am I using it for healing or am I using it for blood bending? And I think I really want to look at the things that I'm giving others to inherit from me, or and even the things that I've inherited in the past. But mostly, are, are my actions moving forward ones that are lift supportive? Are they ones that are healing, or are they ones that are power over moves, and are they ones that are 
bloodbending. And so I want to make sure that I'm what I'm putting out into the world is is more healing over over the next week. Well, forever, but also with with much intention over this upcoming week to make sure that I'm using my my own personal waterbending skills and actions as ones of healing and not ones that are um, hurtful or harmful. Oh, I love to that. the best of my ability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Um, yeah. Okay, I'll go, and then Lisa, you can tie it all tie it all up with yours. Okay. So I have a there's a I recently came across a uh, an engineer who created a way for. Uh, water to freeze on the top of a mountain uh, and then what happens is it becomes this essentially a a glacier that becomes a water source over the course of the year because it never rains up so high and what happens is this previously barren area in the world with no water and really tough to survive has now become a very fertile and beautiful location to to live it's now possible to exist there without the the trouble of dying to go get water Mm. and what that does is it makes me realize that there are things that we can inherit or places or areas in our lives that we can inherit that are seemingly barren because Mm. we are realizing that there's just an element missing (laughs) like water and what we can do is just with a little bit of innovation, with a little bit of creativity, we can make that fertile again and make that a, a mm-hmm. thriving place. So I'm thinking about like, what are the areas in my life that are barren, that I feel uncomfortable around, that don't feel like a great inheritance to me? And so what I want to do is I want to take, uh, I want to sit down and just meditate for a, a 10 to 15 minutes, just on that what is it how do i and it might take longer i might that'll be my intention who knows maybe i'll sit there for an hour but what will happen is hopefully i will come away with that thinking this is a spot that i'm a little bit more aware of that i can spend some time being intentional around trying to be innovative and maybe i'll emerge a little bit better mm. that's dope. Oh. which brings us to uh, you love- alicia yeah 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 I'm I'm grateful. Let me just name that as as I start um, for the fact that like water is the element. Um, I come from a, a, a water proximal people, <laughs> um, and I think about you know how water has cycles, right? Like where mm-hmm. it becomes you know it can be a body of water that becomes a mist that transforms into gas and goes into the clouds and comes down like rain. And this is a cycle that's lived over many, many lifetimes, over many generations. Um, And so as I consider um, just an intention and uh, a place of devotion over the course of this this next week that I want to live into is like every time I come into contact with water is I quench my thirst as I you know nourish my skin and clean my body I want to think about the the way that I want to think about my inheritance about the things that my elders and ancestors have given me um, and then consider what I'll give others. Um, because in the same way that the water cycle, um, 
inheritance cycles too. What we have the ability to give and what we have the ability to receive um, also come in cycles. And so as I come into contact with water, I will consider what it is that I have been given and what it is that I'm gonna put out into the world. That's really beautiful. That's, I love that. Absolutely. We ready for some gratitude? Gratitude's my favorite attitude and practice. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that was a song. Because well, it's not just a pra- it's not just an, an attitude. You have to practice it. It's That's very true. That's yeah. why we practice in a right? posture. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> I got you. Okay. So <laughs> now we're picking. Characters from the episode that we are grateful for. Mm-hmm. Somebody we saw do something or say something or be something that gave us something that, to be grateful for. So who wants to go first? I can go first here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Nice, 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 nice. So I am grateful for Aman. And I know Ooh. that's like, like what? Um, but I am grateful for his character because he puts people, he, he throws this world into question. You know, he, you know, gets intimate, right? Like he touches people and changes the course of their worlds. And through the touch of like one person, two people, three people, like a community is like left questioning, like what is happening and what are we gonna do? Like, how are we gonna respond? And even though his presence is a challenging one in the series, I'm grateful that people are taking account in different ways and and considering um, what it means to pick certain things up and put them down again. Yeah. So that's my gratitude. It is tough to be grateful for problematic people, Uh, but you did it. You did a great job too. I'm, I'm grateful for those things as well. And so thank you for lifting those up. Absolutely. So I'll go next. For me, I'm grateful for Tenzin. And mm-hmm. just Tenzin is a really funny character to me where like he's super, super strict, comes off as super strict, but then is also like incredibly kind and lenient and uh, gracious. And it's just, it's it's a very interesting mm-hmm. um, experience. But one of the things that I appreciate I appreciate about Tenzin in this episode is his parenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as Sunshine said earlier, Milo comes up and he wakes up and answers the phone. It is six a.m. This had better be important. Um, <laughs> and it just you you can hear Tenzin saying the same thing. And I, I just I think that the the values that he instills in his children, the like the need for space, the ability to be calm in the face of really terrifying things like he's at mm-hmm. like this whole episode he is and as soon as he comes to learn that aman can remove people's bending he is he realizes that like what if like and he's the only he's responsible for the air nation much less his children and it's just like his mm-hmm. it's not just bending abilities it's his family and so there's just a lot there that i'm grateful for that he has been a gracious leader in a in a really beautiful parent as well so i'm, I'm grateful mm. for for that and he let milo stay in his room you know milo was probably like i can't sleep and then it's just there's a lot <laughs> there so i'm just i'm really grateful that's me love it love that for me i'm going cora 
and I think we, Alicia mentioned it earlier, and it's it's this idea of that she took time to to meditate and rest and think about her what she's inheriting, and um, and that played to be a benefit for her. And I just I'm grateful that she did that and set that example for the rest of us. And so uh, mm-hmm. that's my gratitude. I'm very thankful for Cora uh, today. Aren't we all grateful for Cora? Like always. <laughs> let's be real here. <laughs> Cora's boss. Um. Okay, y'all, this has been an incredible episode full of really important things to consider that Alicia has brought to the table that I'm really I'm really grateful we had this this lens to engage with. Uh, so Alicia, before we kind of sign off, what where can people find you if they want to find you and connect with you and what where can people connect? So I make things very, very easy because everything that you want to look me up on is at Alicia tcrosby.com so alicia t is in tiffany because that's my middle name crosby.com so like you look at that you look at my um social media it's all under like first name middle initial last name love i'm simple Super, (laughs) super easy super helpful uh yeah that's incredible you can also find us at those places, except not Alicia T. Crosby, but you can find us at BNB underscore pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all the things. All the things. All the things. <laughs> and we also have a Patreon. You can support us there. We have lots of neat perks, extra episodes. You can help us choose lenses, join Ooh. live episodes with Sunshine and I. Yeah. Right? It's oh, a snap. good time. We've gotten really good at Zoom. We have. We have gotten <laughs> so. better at it. Uh, and that, that, that that's yeah, it that's, that's it, the right? whole thing all, all the thanks in the world to alicia thank you so much for for taking the time today and uh, and to thank speak y'all with for us having and, uh, me share your wonderful insight um you are welcome back anytime truth for all the future seasons of cora because there's mm. <laughs> there's so much yeah so much and i think that's one of the things that i'm learning to appreciate about cora and this idea of not only do we not need to compare avatar and the legend of Korra, as you know Mm. next to each other like that's just not necessary but there's just a lot of depth that i think i overlooked the first time when watching Mm -hmm. this series and so i'm very grateful that we're getting to go back through it now Mm y'all it's been a wonderful episode i'm sunshine mayfield this has been pruitt and this has been bending not breaking thank you for listening bye-bye